August 2010. Trial bike riders discover skeletal remains in the Belanglo State Forest in the southern highlands region of New South Wales. Almost five years later, on the 15th of July 2015, at Wanaka, South Australia, the remains of a child are found in a suitcase dumped on the side of the road. DNA would eventually identify these remains and a killer would be brought to justice. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi Islanders, tonight is a gruesome story that I told you I would bring you as soon as the court case was over and it is. But first up, I'd love to thank everyone who came to the Melbourne meetup a couple of weeks ago. It was a great time meeting the Islanders in person. It's always fun. Look, uh, look, I think really next one will be in Sydney next year, so we will keep everyone informed. Okay, so let's get back to tonight's show. I've had many requests for this case, and I have been waiting for the court case to settle before bringing it to you. Well, now I can, and it is a disturbing story. I won't bring you every precise disgusting detail of what went on but I have read them in the court documents and it is beyond disgusting too disgusting maybe to even read out here also this case does deal with the murder of a child which does upset some so I'll just give everyone a heads up on that I mean uh Fuck's sake. The, look, when you look at it, this, the child's mother was only 20 years old when she was murdered. So, you know, no, look, I, let's, get, let's get on with it. Okay. So, on the 29th of August 2010, trail bike riders stumble across what looks to them like skeletal remains in the Blanglo State Forest in the southern highlands of New South Wales, Australia. That Look, that name may ring a bell as it was the dumping ground of Ivor Milat who kidnapped and murdered backpackers in the late 80s and early 90s. Police at first believed the remains to be of a young girl between the age of 13 and 24, more likely at the younger end of that age range, and they may have been there for up to 10 years. This meant that it could not be Malat's victims as he was in jail during that period of time. A t-shirt found nearby that was likely worn by the victim was sold during the mid-2000s, which helped narrow down the time frame that the woman had been dumped. There was no other identification and police released an artist's impression of the t-shirt which had the word angelic written on it in hopes that the public would be able to help them out. The Jane Doe, so to speak, was dubbed the Angel of Belanglo. 
An examination of the remains revealed fractures to multiple ribs on both sides of the chest. It looked like the infliction of the injuries were at or near the time of death and consisted of forcible compression to the chest. The forensic pathologist was of the opinion that the death was the result of one or more applications of blunt force to the trunk and the injuries were strongly suggestive of the application of at least one episode of significant compressive force, perhaps by way of forceful stomping or kneeing. At the time, Detective Superintendent Peter Cotter said, It could be any of one of 30 girls and women on the New South Wales missing persons list who fit that category. There's a whole lot of potential people nationally and perhaps even internationally. Now, police were not able to identify the remains and the case started to go cold. Five years later, on the 14th of July 2015 at Wanaka, South Australia, The remains of a child are found in a suitcase dumped on the side of the road. Now, without trying to get ahead of the story, Wanaka is more than 1,100 kilometres or nearly 700 miles west of Belangelo State Forest. The remains were identified as being those of a young child and were located with various clothing items as well as fauna such as cockroaches and spiders. It was determined that the child's age at death was 1.2 to 4.8 years. Inside the mouth of the child were two balls of blue and white disposable dishcloth and her mouth was taped closed with grey adhesive tape. A disposable nappy had been applied around the right side and front of the skull. A towel was wrapped around the lower part of the torso and also around the skull. The forensic pathologist was of the opinion that the body was not in a skeletal state when put in the suitcase. There was a pink dress and a patterned quilt in the suitcase as well. There were no signs of injury to the skeletal remains and so in the absence of soft tissue, a cause of death could not be determined. The dishcloth in the mouth and the tape around the lower face and nasal region were consistent with gagging. The forensic pathologist was of the opinion that death could have been caused by asphyxiation. South Australian police conducted an extensive investigation, including the circulation of media posters, in an effort to identify the remains found at Wanaka. These included photos of a dress, shirt and patterned quilt. There would be a breakthrough in the identification of the child in the suitcase, when a member of the public contacted Crime Stoppers on the 6th of October 2015 and advised them that Carly and Candelise Pierce had been missing since 2009, but the problem was police found there was no outstanding missing persons report. Just four calls later, a person supplied police with a photo of Candelise in a stroller with the quilt from the photos. And later, they provided a photo of Candelise wearing the pink dress also in the photos. In fact, the public really became armchair investigators in this case, with people being able to identify the shops that sold the materials 
and when certain items were sold. This led to the identification of Candelise Chiara Pierce by comparing DNA extracted from the child's skeletal remains with DNA retained from neonatal heel prick testing. Police were able to find that Candelise had her immunisation when she was young, but after there was no record that she was ever enrolled in school. The identification of Candelise led to the identification of the skeletal remains found five years earlier in the Belangelo State Forest as those of Candelise's mother, Carly Jade Pierce Stevenson, who, whose DNA was already in the system. So, we have a mother and daughter both murdered, but their bodies are, as I said before, 1,100 kilometres or nearly 700 miles apart. Now, police had to go back in time to work out what went on and they were were to discover a truly gruesome story. Now, Carly, she was born in Alice Springs in August 1988. Look, she was good at netball and from what I can find with a very short life, and there's not really much out there to describe her, it was reasonably uneventful. In 2006, she gave birth to Candelise and soon separated from the father, Andrew. Carly was described as a quiet, kind and very tiny girl. In 2008, Carly met 34-year-old Daniel Holdham and his girlfriend of two years, Miss Hazel Passmore, who he'd met in New South Wales, they'd moved to Queensland and were now living in Alice Springs. Passmore at that time had three children from a previous relationship. So, on the night of September 15, 2008, Holdham, going under the name of Daniel Marshall, with Hazel Passmore and her three kids, were driving along the Sturt Highway near the Aboriginal community of Indulkana. Passmore asked Holden to pull over as he was drifting off to sleep and veering all over the road. Of course he didn't and soon Holden lost control of the Mitsubishi hire car and it rolled five times with the three kids thrown from the vehicle. Passmore remembered waking up upside down in the car. Holden was wandering around the car in shock. Two of Passmore's kids were dead and the third was barely alive. A truck driver was the first on the scene and saw Passmore lying on her back next to the car with her baby sitting in the dirt next to her. Holdham told him the other two kids were dead and pointed out into the bush. The truck driver found the two dead kids, checked their pulses before calling for assistance. He then held the baby while emergency services arrived. Now, while Hazel Passmore was in hospital, where she had her leg amputated, Holdham would come to visit with Carly and Candelise. Holdham and Carly seemed very chummy together, and this pissed Passmore off. She told Holdham to stop seeing her. Now, Passmore was in hospital for nearly two months recovering from her injuries. The funerals of her two kids was put off until she was well enough to attend on the 13th of November 2008. Now, she is confined to using a wheelchair. The next day, 
Now, this is just one day after the funeral of his girlfriend's kids. Holdem runs off with Carly and Candelise and they stay at Holdem's Rellos in the Australian Capital Territory, or as we call it, the ACT. They stayed in the suburb of Charnwood at the home of Holdem's cousin, Christine Lancaster, and her partner, Derek Dover. Passmore found out and messaged Holdem telling him that she's going to sue him over the car accident due to the bills and expenses relating to her rehabilitation. Now, you just got to think, nice fucking guy. But then again, the mother, she's not much better either. Anyway, so they stayed in Charnwood for a while looking for work. Apparently so. On the 14th of December, Holdem and Carly had an argument. And it's unknown what they were arguing about. But later on, at about 2.30am on the 15th of December 2008, Holdem and Carly left Charnwood in her car. Now, they left Chandelise behind in the care of Christine Lancaster and her partner, Derek Dover. They arrived in the vicinity of Sutton Forest and the Belanglo State Forest not long before 5am. Now, it's here that they exited the car and walked into the forest. It's Look, it's not known whether Carly was forced out of the car or not, but what happened later that morning, I'll have to give you a warning about. So, skip forward a minute or so if you feel you don't want to know. Holdem had with him a digital camera. The photos that eventually would be recovered from this camera would tell an absolutely fucking shocking story. Now, I'll warn you again, this next sentence and the one after it probably is absolutely sickening. And I'm not going to to say what was actually written in the court records. At 11.23am, Holden took photos of Carly with a bourbon whiskey bottle and his hand up to part of his forearm inserted inside her. A photograph taken at 11.31am showed her upper body and face with his foot on her neck. Another showed the full length of her semi-naked body lying in the forest, apparently deceased. It's unknown if she was alive or dead at this time. I mean, I, I, I did spare you some of the words that was said in this court case. And if you really want to know what they were, you can go online and find them. It's absolutely disgusting what this animal has done. Now, remember when Holdem crashed the car killing his girlfriend's two kids? Well, this sick arsehole used the same camera to take photos of one of her dead kid's skull fragments on the side of the road. Now, these photos would would later be recovered from an SD card in Holden's possession. Now, look, I don't know. This is the, one of the sickest people I've ever come across. He's rolled the car with his girlfriend's kid in there. There's two of them are dead. Now, obviously, you would be a bit in shock or whatever, but he's taken photos of the dead kid's skull fragments on the side of the road. 
Look, let's get. Let, we just got to keep going. Anyway, Holden, at around midday that day, after he's done all this to Carly, drove back to Charmwood where he told Christine Lancaster that he'd had a fight with Carly and had dropped her off at the bus stop. Now, Christine asked him, look, how would she leave Candles? Now, Candles was a nickname for uh, Candelise. Holden replied that Carly sometimes did that. Oh, look, Mum, she just sometimes does that. And he, he ended up telling her, I'm taking her to her grandmother's, and now that's in South Australia. So Holden ended up trading in Carly's car at a car dealership in Canberra on the 17th of December 2008 and obtained another car, a hold, an old Holden Statesman. He continued staying with Candelise at the home of Christine and Derek until the 19th of December 2008. And at this time, he packed up his and Candelise's possessions and left. Candelise was never seen alive again by anyone who knew her. Holdem drove with Candelise from Canberra towards South Australia. He stopped at a supermarket in Wagga Wagga, and purchased a number of items including body wash gel, multi-purpose wipes, garbage bags, and duct tape. At around 11am, Holdem checked into a motel in Narendera, and mobile phone tower data showed that he was in Narendera for about two and a half hours, and it was probably here that he killed Candelise. A statement of fact presented in court included the following. There was a sexual motive involved in the murder and the offender was at least attempting to or planning to sexually assault Candelise at the time of her death. And as the autopsy stated, the means of causing her death was probably suffocation. Now, Holden wrapped a disposable nappy around her head and a towel from the motel also around her head and torso. He then stuffed her little body in a suitcase and drove off towards South Australia, dumping the suitcase on the side of the road at Wanaka. Holdem then turned up on Hazel Passmore's doorstep and told her he wanted to get back with her. I mean, fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck. Hey, hey, hey. Guess what? Yep, she let him back. Now... Carly and Candelise were not in regular contact with any family members or, or friends for that matter, so no one really realised that they were missing. Holdem told Passmore that Carly had gone back to Alice Springs and then later told her she'd gone to Queensland. Now, a few months later, around the middle of 2009, Passmore was going through the boot or trunk for the US people. The trunk of the car Holden had driven back from Charnwood and found items belonging to Carly. Well, Passmore straight away thought Holden was still seeing Carly behind her back and they argued about it. It's here that Holden admitted to raping and killing Carly and gave her specific details about what he did with a bottle and stomping on her neck. He also admitted to suffocating Candelise. Passmore asked why he did this, and he told her that he did it for her fuck's sake. Now, 
you th- look, you'd think Passmore would go straight to the cops, right? Yeah, no. Nah. Holdem and Passmore would now steal Carly and Candelisa's identity and start using her credit card and withdrawing money from her account. I mean, <laughs> this, this is a difficult case, but they're just, these are fucking assholes, both of them. Holdem and Passmore were able to use Carly's mobile phone to give the impression that they were still alive. Holdem used a mobile phone to send text messages, including to members of her family, such as her mother, purporting to be from her. These messages were sent as early as a few days after the murder, and then there was a shitload of them soon after the police made contact with Holdem in September 2009, when finally Carly's mother reported her missing. So... On the 4th of September 2009, Carly's mother, Miss Colleen Povey, went to the police station in the Northern Territory and reported that she had concerns for her daughter and her granddaughter. She'd not seen them for almost a year since they left the Territory. Colleen said that Carly had not kept in contact at all. Call charge records showed that the last occasion Carly contacted her mother was on the 13th of December 2008. Subsequently, calls and texts to Carly's number went unanswered. Colleen filed a missing persons report, which that, that that's good, you know. It, it's really good that at least someone notices the missing. On the September the 7th, 2009, Northern Territory Police spoke to Holden by telephone. He said that he understood that Carly had moved to Queensland and he'd not heard from her since February 2009. He told police that he may have a further contact number for her and asked to be called back that afternoon when he could provide it. Problem was, further attempts to make contact with him were unsuccessful. So, police made contact with a credit union which Carly held an account. That's that's a good idea. Have a look at her bank accounts. They were told that her account was being used regularly and had recently, as on the 7th of September 2009, been accessed at an ATM in South Australia. Police took this to be a sign of life. Good on you, coppers. Colleen was informed of this but she was told that police would still keep the missing person report open until Carly was cited or spoken to. So on the 10th of September 2009, Colleen, now this is Carly's mum, contacted police. She told them that she'd received a text message from Carly saying they were okay. She said that Carly did not want to provide any details about her location. Now, this feigned contact from Carly, obviously from one of the perpetrators, Holdem, caused the missing person report to be closed. Now, Miss Colleen Povey, the poor thing, she passed away from breast cancer in February 2012. In a family victim impact statement later on, which (laughs) we'll get to later, but uh, it was said that Colleen's last words was to ask... Carly and Candles here yet. Now, this was not only cr- a cruel aspect of this deception, but the by the offender, it was just, just so 
absolutely heartbreaking. So not only are Holdem and Passmore using Carly's bank account and credit card, they're also engaged in fraudulent activities relating to Carly's social security accounts, including Centrelink, Medicare and child support. On the 15th of December 2010, an associate of Holdem purporting to be Carly attended a Centrelink service centre and produced a copy of Candelise's birth certificate. This interaction resulted in $7,806 for arrears of family tax benefit and rent assistance payments being credited to Carly's bank account. Now, in, in total, the amount fraudulently debited from Carly's bank account after her death was about $72,000. Now, sometime during 2010, Passmore and Holden broke up, but she still didn't go to police. So, as I said before, on the 29th of August 2010, Carly's remains are found at Belangelo State Forest nearly two years after she was murdered. She'd been reported missing, but that report was closed off after her mum got a text message from her phone saying she was okay. It wouldn't be until six and a half years later, in 2015, that Candelisa's skeletal remains would be found in the suitcase by the side of the road and a couple of months later identified, which then led to Carly's body being identified. As Holden was now a prime suspect, they interviewed him over the murders. <laughs> he wasn't hard to find as he was already in custody awaiting sentencing which gave police plenty of time to gather, gather evidence. He was inside because of a sexual assault case against a child under the age of 10 at Blue Bay Caravan Park on the New South Wales Central Coast. Holden was interviewed by police on the 21st of October 2015. He denied involvement in or knowledge of either murder and told some elaborate lies in support of such denials. He was interviewed again on the 28th of October 2015 when he told police that most of what he'd said in his first interview was not true. He then told different lies. Following the interview on the 28th of October 2015, Holden was arrested and charged with the murder of Carly. He told police, You've got the wrong guy, you'll see. And on the 15th of December 2015, Holdem was arrested and charged with the murder of Candelise. Now, a number of Carly's belongings were found amongst Holdem's possessions when police executed search warrants in 2015. These included her mobile phone, Medicare card and library card. Police came into possession of a notebook belonging to Holdem. Now, within that notebook, in his handwriting was a list of about 30 children identified by their age and sometimes their first name with details such as rape, forced or consent next to the entries. One of the entries identified the child as Candles and of course that was the nickname, nickname for Candelise. Some of the entries in this list included locations which are places which Holdem stayed during 2006 and 2007. However, there is no evidence that the other names mentioned in the list were persons who were in fact assaulted by Holdem and they may have just been his fantasies. 
Now, writings pertaining to sexual assaults of children were also found amongst some of Holden's discarded belongings. They were linked to Holden's through DNA, fingerprint and or handwriting evidence. Some of these describe fantasies of children of different ages being sexually assaulted. Some of the acts described also convey similar themes to sexual acts depicted in photographs he took of Carly in the Belanglo State Forest. Now all I can say is he is a fucking sick cunt. One example of these writings is a notebook which contained writings explicitly detailing child abuse fantasies. They were written by Passmore. Passmore, this is his girlfriend at Holden's direction when they were living together before the before the car accident in 2008. You've got to think of her fucking mentality as well. Passmore was interviewed by police, but guess what? She was released without charge. So I don't know what sort of deal she did, but she's a sick bitch as well. I won't go into Holland's background so much as to say that he did have a hard upbringing. He didn't have the best education. He seemed to be able to keep down a job reasonably well. He did take drugs and he got drunk. He was violent towards all the women in his life and he had had issues with the law also throughout his life. Now, he is a really big guy and Carly, she's only tiny. She would never have stood any chance against him once he got her into the forest. What he did to her and Candelise was amongst the worst, worst crimes anyone could commit against a human being. To then keep photos of what he'd done as some kind of trophy where he could relive his atrocities just shows what kind of fucking animal he was. To then let Carly's family think that they're they're both still alive and that they don't want to contact him contact them while fleecing her bank account just tops it all fucking off just to think how the family were hurt that she didn't want to contact them that's what they believed and how maybe they probably felt anger towards her when the brutal fucking reality was that she and her daughter had been dead for years Carly's grandmother and mother both passed away before her real whereabouts were known. Now, this this is so much of a sad story. Uh, the whole fucking thing of it is just shit. It's cases like this that resurrect the death penalty debate and why animals like Holdem should be let live on. I mean, Holdem has shown absolutely no remorse over this at all. Well, he did plead guilty in the end, He was sentenced on November 30, 2018. Now, that was just a couple of days ago, and that's why I'm bringing you this case this weekend. I just want to read out some of what the judge had to say. Now, in regards to the murder of Carly, he said, I accept completely the Crown submission that the last moments of Carly's life must have been horrendous. She was physically separated from her child, alone in an isolated location in a forest with a man she had trusted and had romantic feelings for. He was a man of considerable height, size and weight, whereas Carly was described as being of childlike stature. She was killed brutally, 
mostly by the infliction of severe blunt trauma by the offender either stomping or dropping his knees on her chest and throat region. Carly was sexually assaulted shortly before her death or afterwards. The offender compounded the indignity she suffered, whether in life or in death, of violating her in the most callous and sadistic way. He compounded this further when he took photographs of his unspeakable mistreatment which he kept as a vile trophy of his inhumanity. The final indignity inflicted by the offender was to abandon the body half naked in the forest. Carly's remains were not discovered for almost two years and was not possible to identify them for a further five years. The combined force of all the circumstances point unequivocally to the offender having had nothing less than an intention to kill Carly. His treatment of her showed complete disdain for her existence as a human being. To him, she was just flesh with a life that could be extinguished for his vile pleasure. The Crown contended that there were four features which motivated the offender to kill Carly. First, in order to gain access to a young daughter in whom he had a sexual interest. Secondly, there was asserted to be a prospect of financial gain by the subsequent fraud. Thirdly, there was a sexual motive in relation to Carly herself. Fourthly, there was what the Crown described as a thrill kill, as evidenced by the taking and keeping of the photographs. I am satisfied that the manner in which the offender killed Carly Pierce Stevenson and the circumstances in which it occurred amount to a murder of extreme gravity and appalling depravity. It is a murder at the top of the range of objective seriousness. Now, in regards to the murder of Candelise, with the mother having been murdered, Candelise became the two-year-old child entrusted to the care of the offender when he assumed the responsibility of, and as he said, taking her from Canberra to her grandmother in South Australia. He, in fact, planned to kill Candelise when a suitable opportunity and location became available. Hours in advance of doing so, he purchased items that would he would use in killing and disposing of her little body. What precisely the offender did in killing Candelise is unable to be completely determined because of the circumstances in which he did so and the manner in which he disposed of her body. If she was conscious when her mouth was stuffed with dishcloth and duct tape was wrapped around her head, her death must have been attended by significant suffering before she passed into unconsciousness. There was a sexual aspect to this murder in that it is accepted by the offender that he was at least attempting to or planning to sexually assault Candelise at the time of her death. Given this, it's difficult to think why, when she would have been unable to resist him, he would not have gone ahead and done so. But whether he in fact did is indeterminable. Whether the child was dead when he, she was placed in the suitcase is not known. He wrapped a disposable nappy around her head and a towel around her head and torso. The killing of Candelise was likely prompted, at least in part, by the offender's need to cover up the murder of Carly. Leaving Adelaide with the both of them and only returning with the child would have been difficult for the offender to explain. If this was not part of his motive, then there must have been, he must have killed the child because she was a hindrance to him. 
Worse explanations for his conduct easily come to mind, but must be put aside because of the requirement of proof beyond reasonable doubt. Now, having regard to the method by which the child was suffocated and the body wrapped and put in the suitcase, I'm satisfied that the offender's intention was nothing less than to kill. This murder is also at the top range of objective seriousness. That is so, even if only on the bare fact that the victim was a completely defenceless two-year-old who was intentionally killed with some forethought by being suffocated and stuffed in a suitcase and dumped. Adding to this, the sexual assault element only makes it the more despicable. So, that's what he had to say. The judge, it's good, about time we got a good judge. Anyway, the sentence. The offender, that is scumbag fucking fuckfuck, is convicted for the murder of Carly Jade Pierce Stevenson at Belanglo State Forest on the 15th of December 2008 and the murder of Candelise Kiara Pierce at Narendera on the 19th of December 2008. For the murder of Carly Jade Pierce Stevenson, the offender is sentenced to imprisonment for life. For the murder of Candelise Kiara Pierce, the offender is sentenced also to imprisonment for life. Both sentences are to date from the 15th of September 2016. As you know, he was already in custody for child sex offences. <sighs> well, Islanders, I don't like bringing you cases like this, but, you know, sometimes these stories have to be told, and uh, this was absolutely one of the worst All I can say in finishing up the show is that I really hope that the Karma Bus takes this fucking piece of shit and deals with him in a Breville kind of way, if you know what I mean. So, I haven't been able to do the Patreon shout-out for a bit. Being in Melbourne and last week uploading the crossover episode with Barney and Tara and all that, you know, (laughs) I haven't been able to add it on the end. So here we go, and, uh, you know, I'm still thinking about that case. How do you sort of end it off like that? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know, but let's get into the Patreon stuff. It's the end of the show. So here we go. Susan Adams and Robert Oscar Huerta, David R. Bruner, Terry Stafford. Oh, I think I, I'm still got to talk, talk to David Rawsthorne and James M. Hooper. Look, thank you so much for all your support. Look, it really does help pay for all the trips down to Melbourne where I get to bring you the crossover episodes that you all seem to love and where I get to meet some of the Islanders who are... They're also fan-bam bloody murder people's felon people and, and of course, uh, Sarah's good nightmare listeners. Uh, it's, It's great to see you all. And look, the Patreon goes a long way. I've been able to upgrade the computer with new coolers and memory and actually get a new computer. So I really do appreciate it. Look, also, if if you are a Patreon, uh, please make sure your email and postal address is up to date, especially if you expect stickers, mugs and T-shirt. I'm still waiting for Catherine Harbord. Catherine, where are you from the UK? To get back to me, I've emailed you about your T-shirt that I need to send you from last month. 
uh, Catherine, check your email. Check your, I don't know, the spam folder. I may be in there. Now, this month's rewards will be sent out this week or next week. So if you are expecting a T-shirt mug, whatever, I will email you beforehand. So uh, I need to contact you just to check what you want and where it's going. Now, for as little as a dollar a month, you too can help out the island. Go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland. Or if you just want to donate one off, you can go to paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland and shout me a beer. That'd be nice. There is merch at the truecrimeisland.threadless.com shop where you can get yourself a mug of rage, t-shirt, beach towel or tote bag, whatever you want. I'll try to do a revamp of the shop in the new year with new products and all that sort of stuff. Don't forget, if you're not happy with anything from the Threadless shop, just give them a call. They will make good. So, And also let me know as well because I've bought a shitload of stuff there and some of it wasn't 100%. So I let them know they sent a new copy out to you. So do that. I still have a couple of beer coolers left before I get some new ones made in the new year. And plenty of key rings. I've got shitloads of key rings and lapel pins. Look, I gave a few out at the uh, meeting uh, last week. People do love them. They're fantastic. I use one on my motorbike. Now, for all that, um, you do need to contact me for beer coolers and all that shit. From, uh, call, <laughs> I don't know how I'm getting this. I'm not getting this really well. Cambo at truecrimeisland.com. Now, I'll sort you out according to where you live and what you want. And it's all that got to do with weight. Finally, you know the best way to support the island is spread the word. Just help us out. Grab a friend or family member and tell them about the wide world of podcasting. They will love you for it. They'll get rid of their TV and Netflix. And shout out to Alison who caught me while celebrating Scotty McLaughlin's championship win last week in the Ford Falcon. Go the Fords. This week, I do have one podcast promo from Mo from Targeted Podcast. Now, Targeted Podcast, true crime, domestic violence. Targeted Podcast investigates cases of family violence each season using academic research to help us interpret the events so that we can become better advocates. So get on and listen to that. It's fantastic. Hey, I think that's about it for this week. I have had a few wines next door with Helena, so uh, it was good to get the uh, this afternoon. Next week is a great episode. Now, last week, this next week's episode was supposed to be this week's, but this case dropped on Friday. I had to bring it to you straight away, so I've been sitting in this chair all weekend trying to get this one out to you. Then, <laughs> look, I hope to have a very special Christmas show to bring you. Only if all the planets align. So I think that's 23rd, the 23rd of December. So let's hope that's going to be a really good one if it happens. Well, that's all. That's about it for tonight. I can't get my words right tonight. Lots of love to Maggie Jane. So this has been Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Bullfuckalunga and Good night.
I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted, True Crime, Domestic Violence. We investigate cases of family violence each season using academic research to help us interpret the events so that we can become better advocates. In season one, we followed the case of little Militia Gibson, who was murdered by her stepfather as her mother stood by without intervening. We learned that Militia was not the only one being abused and took a hard look at laws and policies regarding abuse. In season two, we're telling the story of Tracy Thurman, who sued her city because police refused to protect her from her abusive husband. We'll also study the case of Joshua Osborne. His case was sensational, replete with the biker gang who rallied to protect Joshua and new legislation resulting from his case. Josh passed away a few years ago, and two of his siblings agreed to tell his story. Except they've revealed it wasn't just Josh's story. It's their story, too. One that has been suppressed for over a decade. You can find Targeted Podcast, True Crime, Domestic Violence, on iTunes, Spotify, and all the major podcatchers. Peace, my friends. Peace 